Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Anti-aging. There's a multi-billion dollar industry in it. There's something within us that as we grow older, we'd like to think that we could slow down the process. Right? But do you know who you would not want to do that for? Your children. Is there anything in the world cuter than a newborn baby? But if a child is two years old and still the same size, the same weight he or she was as a newborn, that's when you know that something is very wrong. Because a baby is supposed to change. A baby is supposed to mature. A baby is supposed to grow up, right? Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. As we continue in our series entitled Crossroads, a study of the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians, we come to chapter 3 of the Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, where we find the Apostle telling the church that he wanted to teach them the deeper things of God, but he couldn't. The Apostle Paul had some spiritual children in Corinth that needed to grow up. They needed to grow up. The problem was that many in the church were still acting very worldly and carnal. It's a problem that still exists in the church today. As Pastor Clay is going to show us, Paul says it's time to grow up. Now here's Pastor Clay. I got a a word for you. Maybe it's a hyphenated two words. Anti-aging. Now, there's a, there's a multi-billion dollar industry in it. Anti-aging, right? You got doctors that specialize in helping you not age, not change. You got uh, anti-aging creams, anti-aging soaps. I'm sure anti-aging all kinds of stuff. You got Botox injections for those of you that would like to do that. It sounds rather painful to me, but anti uh, Botox you got Botox injections. You got supplements that uh, promise the moon and what they will do, right? Yeah, some, some of y'all, some of y'all probably have some of that stuff. That's a, I'm not, I'm not uh, throwing you under the bus. We got anti-aging stuff because there's there's something within us that as we grow older, we would we'd like to think that we could slow down the process, right? Somehow we get to just slow down the process, and I, I know I know we're going to change. I know I'm going to change, but maybe if I could not change quite as quickly. Harold and Linda Rigsby are here, and I I, I said y'all y'all look fantastic. Had changed a bit, and and uh, I think Harold called me a liar. He said uh, he said the gray has turned to white. Is what I think is what he what he said. So <laughs> right, if I could just maybe just slow down the process, and most of us would would say yeah, I'd vote for that. If I can slow down the process, if I can stay. You know, maybe a little younger feeling, a little younger looking, you know, whatever the case may be. If I could do some of that, I probably would want to do that. But you know who you would not want to do that for? Your children. You, you, you wouldn't, and, and, and listen, bear with me sometimes, because you may be thinking, oh yeah, I'd love for my kids to grow up. That's not what I mean. There is probably very few things, if anything at all, on this planet, cuter than a newborn babe, Right? Would you agree, a newborn baby? Now, let's not get into the whole, oh, she looks like, eh, looks like a baby. Let's just be honest, looks like a baby. But, no, they, they, they do have, but you know what I'm saying? There's probably nothing on this earth cuter than a newborn baby. But imagine if your baby was two years old. 
and still weighed the same? Was the same height? Was exactly the same as he or she was when they were newborn. They're two years old, but they're exactly the same as they were when they were newborn. You know what? You would be alarmed, wouldn't you? You would say, something's wrong. We have to, get, we have to change this. Something has to be fixed. There's a problem, and, and you, would, you would be rightfully concerned about that. Because a baby is supposed to change. A baby is supposed to, to mature. A baby is supposed to grow up, right? Right? Come on. Spiritually speaking... The Apostle Paul had some spiritual children in Corinth that needed to grow up. They needed to grow up. And if you like to fill in blanks, there's, there's, your, there's, there's your first one today. This call to grow up. Are y'all all right? Y'all love me? Okay. Because I'm going to say some things today that are going to, at least initially, probably going to sound offensive. Stay with me. I'm not, not trying to offend anybody in this place today. But the Apostle Paul is going to drive home this idea that somebody needs to grow up. I'm going to just read four verses to you today from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll get to the rest of 1 Corinthians. Lord willing, if Jesus tarries and he allows me to stand here next week, we'll get to the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And listen, there's some exciting stuff in all of it. But in the rest of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul starts talking about the, these rewards uh, that in heaven and loss of rewards and, and what that involves and, and whether a person say and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, and you don't, you don't find a whole lot of places in Scripture that talks about these rewards in heaven. There's a few, and I'll point those out next week. But 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is one of those places where Paul talks about these rewards in heaven that you may or may not receive. So if I was going to miss any week, I, I wouldn't miss next week. I've been meaning to say that every week, but I keep... <laughs> Keep forgetting, but if I, if I didn't miss any week, I wouldn't miss next, next week. But this week, I'm just going to read four verses to you based on this, this, this call that Paul's given. Grow up, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. The text is on the screen. You may have a copy of God's Word open as well, either hard copy or on your phone or iPad or tablet or whatever the case may be. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men. He's reflecting back to when he was with them. When he found, remember we talked about he's found at the church. We're walking through Corinthians. He found at the church in Corinth. And so he's reflecting back. He said, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. The, the solid food, You're, you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you're not yet able. For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? I love that phrase. Are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men this is a subject here in first corinthians 3 as we as we jump into this thing paul returns to a subject that he has that he has discussed a few times already if you've been in this series with us and in chapter one and in chapter two you know that this idea of this struggle within the church keeps coming up right i'm of paul well i'm of apollos well i'm of cephas or peter well i'm of christ and and it wasn't just the fact that they that they liked a particular 
person or they, they preferred their teaching over this, you know, the way they did it. Or, or it, it wasn't that. It had to do with the fact that as a result of who they were lining up with, it was causing pride, it was causing arrogance, it was called, causing this sense that, you know, well, we're, we're spiritually superior to you because we follow, you know, Peter. Or we're, we're better than you because we're with the guy that founded the church, Paul. And it was causing this, and it was causing a rift, a division in the church. And the fact that Paul keeps bringing it up means that this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And sadly, can I say this to you? Nobody said yes, but I'm going to anyway. And sadly, it is a problem that still persists in the church today. Listen, I'm telling you, I've seen this movie too many times. A new, a new pastor comes in to a church and, and the people refuse to follow him because they like the way their old pastor did, their former pastor did things. A new student pastor comes in and, and, and students uh, drop out of the ministry because he's not like the, the, our former student pastor. I, I'm telling you, is that, is that very far? Is that very different from what was going on in Corinth here when they said, well, I'm of Paul. Well, I'm, a, I'm of Apollos. Well, I'm a... You understand what I'm saying to you? But when Paul brings it up now in chapter 3, he does so from a different vein, so to speak. When he brought it up before, he brought it up to try and help them see and understand how destructive it was, how harmful it was to the church, to the body of Christ, this this divisiveness that they've got going on, and how it was harmful to the the witness of the church uh, in the world and how uh, harmful it was to the work of the church uh, in the world. We talked about that a a few weeks ago, how it was harmful to the church and what it was causing the the harm to their witness and to their work and, and all that kind of stuff. But this time, when Paul brings it up, he comes at it from the perspective of the fact that it was harmful or destructive to them individually. Each of them, as a follower of Jesus Christ, this thing is killing you. They they need it to be spiritually mature. They need it to advance in their walk with Jesus Christ. And they weren't. And Paul begins to point out to them that this, even if you don't give a rip about the church, you know, you'd hope that they would. but, But even if you didn't, care about the church the question could be asked why would you keep doing something that was hurting yourself even if you didn't care that it ruined the church's witness in the world or 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 slowed down the advancement of the work that's going on if you didn't care about that why would you keep doing something that was harmful to yourself and it was ladies and gentlemen it spiritually speaking it was crippling them in their walk with Jesus Christ. And Paul says, uh, paraphrasing, granted, but you don't have to read much between the lines to understand what Paul's saying here, grow up. There comes this point where you've got to grow up. Now, I I said, I think it was last week, I said that when we got to chapter 3, we would find very few mature followers in Jesus Christ in Corinth when we got there. Now we know why. Paul brings it down, now we know why. They, They won't grow up. They refuse to grow up and Paul says something's got to change folks this cannot be the same I, I I wanted to give you the deeper things of God I wanted to help you grow in your relationship with Christ but I but I couldn't because you're you're still acting fleshly now we know that when Paul uh, came into Corinth he came with with a very simple a very singular message right we've talked about that and especially in the latter part of uh, verse 2 of chapter 2 Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the message Paul comes into Corinth with. 
Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and that's the simple message. And we went and saw that in chapter 2, why he didn't speak with eloquence or all that kind of stuff. Why? Because he wanted their faith to rest on God and not on men, right? He, he made that very clear. I didn't want your faith to rest on, you know, oh, look at how intelligent he is. Look at how polished he is. Look at how, no, I wanted your faith to rest on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. But now, Paul's uh, brought that message to them, and we find out that now here it is, however much time later, as he's writing this letter, and nothing's changed. They're still basically the same. That's a problem. Something's got to begin to change in a person's life if this, if this walk with Christ is genuine. And so Paul says, and again, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but, but you read it with me, you can read it again. Basically, Paul says, listen, man, I wanted to give you guys the, these deep things. I wanted to help you grow and mature in your walk with Christ. I wanted to give you solid food, but I couldn't. I'm still, he said, I still can't. I'm still having to give you milk. Listen to me. Now listen to me. I wanted to give you solid food, the, the deeper things of God, to mature in this, in this walk and to learn these more, these deeper, newer uh, things about God. I wanted to do that, but I couldn't. I had to keep giving you these elementary things about, about God. That, ladies and gentlemen, tells us something very important about our spiritual lives. And I want you to tune into this. I would put it this way. Spiritual maturity, Paul says, spiritual maturity is tied to theological maturity. Spiritual maturity, and if you're here and you profess Christ as your Savior, you would say, well, yeah, I want to be spiritually mature. Well, Paul is saying... There's a direct connection between your spiritual maturity and your theological maturity. In other words, your ability to grow in your understanding of who God is, your ability to open God's Word, dig into God's Word, and pull out of God's Word new ideas, new concepts that you hadn't thought about before or been taught before, who God is, more about who He is as a God, what His nature is like, what His plans are, what His intent is for His creation, all of those things that would, that would take you deeper and deeper and deeper into this, your understanding of, of, of God, Paul says there's your avenue to spiritual maturity. Because again, I'll say it, anybody that's a follower of Jesus would say, yeah, I want to be spiritually mature. There it is. It comes through theological maturity in growing in your understanding of who God is. And Paul, he can't... He can't Get him there. And remember, he came with a simple, singular message. Okay? Right? Paul spent a year and a half with the church in Corinth. A year and a half. And it's not like today, right? It's not like today where the church gets together once a week for a couple hours and we're, and we're looking at our watches. Not y'all. Y'all are fantastic. But uh, it's, it's not like today where a church gets together once a week and, you know, for a couple of hours. Basically, back then... The church met together virtually every single day. They did life together. They worked, they earned a living however they could. The Apostle Paul was a tent maker by trade to try and earn a living. They, they, they did things, but virtually every single day the church got together at some point. So for a year and a half, almost every day they have access to the Apostle Paul. They have access to his knowledge, his wisdom, everything that he, that he is and knows about God. But they don't go anywhere. 
And Paul uses this phrase, and I love this phrase. He says, when, when, when you won't advance, when you, when you won't let me move you on into solid food because you're still just, you're, he says, are you not acting like mere men? Listen to me. L- look up here at me. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you know that, you know you've settled this, you, and you've trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Listen to me. You are no mere mortal you're not now you're not a god okay let's take that off the table right now you're not a god you don't become a god but you are a child of god spiritually speaking you are a child of the king you are adopted into the family of god by way of the grace of god provided at the cross through which god died for the penalty for your sins so that you could be adopted into his family and that means that all the rights and privileges that go with being a child of God are yours. Why in the world would we still act like mere mortals and choose to live a life based on the flesh? And that's where they are. They can't get out of this idea that, that, that they're driven by the flesh, their thoughts are driven by the flesh, they're fleshly in their attitude, they're fleshly in their approach to life. And God intends so much more, so much more. For them but they're focused on the stuff that doesn't even matter Do you know what i mean this past wednesday it was reformation day first and foremost reformation day october 31st october 31st 1517 that's right ernie breed love hammer time martin luther nailed his 95 thesis on the door of the church in wittenberg and said no 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 we're not doing it this way we're gonna go by what god's word said never mind that's i'm going in a whole other direction that was reformation day but for most of the world, it was Halloween. Now, I don't, you know, don't, um, it was Halloween, right? Trick-or-treating, candy, lots of that stuff. So um, Ellie and Emery and their, and their mom and dad uh, went uh, trick-or-treating in our neighborhood. And uh, Ellie and Emery asked uh, Poppy if he could go with them. And so I went around with them. And we, we had a great time. It was a beautiful evening. It was really nice. And, uh, you know, at virtually every house, lights on. And you go get candy. I mean, you're getting candy. I mean, you get every door. You get candy. One door, Ellie even got a teddy bear. She's just like unbelievable. She's over the moon. But I mean, every place, think about it. For, for, from a kid's perspective, they just give you candy everywhere you go. But when we left the house to go, Emery decided that he was going to ride this scooter thing. It's the thing, we've had it for years. You sit on it, and you do the wheel, and it advances and stuff like that. And, and he decided he was going to take it with him. Some adult probably should have thought, eh, this is not going to probably be a good idea. But we didn't, and so we went out. And, and at first, everything's going great and good and stuff, but, but then in a few minutes, Ellie realizes that, that she don't have a scooter. Ellie has a scooter. She doesn't have a scooter. And so next house, Emery gets off. She comes running back from the door, and she jumps on the scooter. And World War III breaks out, right? Because then from Emery's perspective, hey, I'm the one that thought of bringing the scooter. You could have brought a scooter. I'm the one that brought a scooter. Why shouldn't I be the one that gets to ride the scooter all the time? Of course, his parents are trying to, to reason with him. It's okay, Emery. You know, just, let's just take turns. Let's, what, that's not happening. You know, that's not right. Now, listen to me. I'm not throwing my grandkids under the bus. They're just being kids. They, they are children. They're acting the way you'd expect children to act in a particular situation. 
But the whole time this is going on, ah, no, it's my turn, oh, it's my turn. I want, the whole time this is going on, I'm like having to point out, hey, hey, here's another house. You're missing a house because they're just going on by. You understand what I'm saying? They're fighting over something that doesn't even matter. They have access to all the candy in the world. What kid would want, not want to live on that planet? And they're focused on something that doesn't even matter. That thing sits in the, dry, in the garage every day and they never touch it. Spiritually speaking, I wonder how often we get distracted by the things that don't even matter in the long run. You know what I'm saying? In the long run, the things that really don't even count. One of the things that we looked at last week in chapter 2, right there at the end of chapter 2, is that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, have access to the mind of Christ. Whatever all that may mean, it certainly means that we have his spirit dwelling within us and we have the ability to to have the wisdom of God and the power of God operating in our lives all of the time for all of the decisions and the, and the crises and the circumstances and the situation, everything that we face. We have the mind of Christ. We have the wisdom of God and the power of God at our disposal. And so often we're focused on stuff that doesn't even matter. And Paul says, grow up, grow up. And listen, this, this idea of spiritual maturity being tied to theological maturity, the longer those two are, the longer a person is not taking advantage or working towards spiritual or a theological maturity, the longer they, they put that off or delay or don't, oh, I don't have time for that or I don't whatever, the, the greater the problem that causes. Because I want you, I want you to see a passage of scripture uh, found in, in the book of Hebrews. Some, very similar to what Paul's writing here in chapter 3, but look at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Listen, listen to what the writer of the book of Hebrews says. We don't know who the writer of the book of Hebrews was. Some people speculate that it was Paul. I personally believe that it was probably somebody else. But Hebrews chapter 5, he says, I have a lot more to say about this, but it may be hard for you to follow since you've become dull in your understanding. Now, now listen to what he says. By this time, you ought to be teachers yourselves. You, you ought to be teaching other people. Yet, I feel like you want me to reteach you the most basic things that God wants you to know. It's almost like you're a baby again, coddled at your mother's breast, nursing, not ready for, say it, solid food. Not ready for solid food. Listen to what he says. No one who lives on milk alone can know the ins and outs of what it means to be righteous and pursue justice. You understand what he just said there? You can't live a spiritual life if there's not, if there's not, you can't, you can't be spiritually mature if there's not theological maturity. The ins and outs of what it means to be righteous and pursue justice. That's because he is only a baby. But solid food is for those who have come of age, for those who have learned through practice to distinguish good from evil. In that text there, in Hebrews chapter 5, uh, dull, uh, dull in your hearing, it could be, uh, would literally translate, in the original language that the New Testament was written in, in Greek, dull in your understanding would literally translate, sluggish you have become in the hearing. Sluggish or uh, dull comes from the Greek word nathros, which uh, nathros basically, or actually in classical Greek, very little record of it, by the way, in New, in New Testament Greek, in, in Koine, in common Greek, uh, it, Hebrews is the only place this word is used, by the way. I don't know if there's significance in that or not, but it's interesting. This is the only place that it's used. Sluggish or dull, nathros, 
meant leisurely or gradually falling into a deep sleep. Right? Hebrews says you've become dull in your hearing. You're falling into this leisurely, slow, deep sleep, spiritually speaking, in your life. Y'all ever been driving down the road and, you know, it's, maybe it's the look of the road or the rhythm of the road or, you know, this make or whatever, and, and you find yourself getting sleepy? Ever happen, ever, ever happen to anybody in here, you get sleepy while you're driving and you're like, right, and you're, and you're nodding off and you're, you're nodding off and, and, and no matter, you know, it doesn't matter what you do, you, do, you slap your face, you roll, roll the window down, oh, that's old-fashioned, isn't it? you roll the window down, sorry, <laughs> You roll the window down, you stick, your, you stick your face out in the wind, right? You turn the music up really loud. But no matter what you do, it seems like it's like, ah. Y'all, does that ever happen to y'all? Remind me to never ride with you. <laughs> and, and, and it happens, it happens. And, and, and does this ever happen to you? At some point, while you're battling all this, you're fighting all this, and you kind of maybe drift off on the, on the shoulder of the road just a little bit, or, or maybe you go the other, or you hear all of a sudden a car horn honks as you kind of drift across the center line, and what happens? You're like, you're jerked back into reality, and you're like wider awake, and you're like, ten and two position, and your hands are about to break the steering wheel, you're holding it so tight. And, think about that. and I don't know, I, I, I got no, uh, I'm just wondering if sometimes, if some, of the, if some of the stuff God sends into our lives are not sometimes intended to wake us up, from this slow, dull, falling asleep that we allowed to happen in our lives, spiritually speaking. And Paul says, grow up, grow up. And in this case, the writer Hebrew says, you got to wake up to grow up. So I want to ask you a question this morning. This is introspective. You don't have to answer it out loud. But just, just, just you and, and God and just thinking about this whole thing to, to honestly ask you this morning, have you fallen asleep in your attempt to grow theologically, right? Because you can hear it so much sometimes. It'll be kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 okay. Heard that before. Is it possible that you maybe slowly, imperceptibly, just kind of, you're just kind of spiritually speaking, drifting off to sleep? The writer of Hebrews says you've got to wake up because... Paul says you've got you to grow up. You've got to move on. You've got to mature in this thing in your walk with Christ. We live in a culture that does not like hard, does not like difficulty, does not like... Would you agree with me on that? Now listen to me. I would be the first to confess and my wife would be the first to testify that I do not like to be inconvenienced. Even this morning, I had a go around with this shiny watch y'all got me because it was an hour off. And my, bless my wife's heart. She said, no. I said, don't worry, but we'll do it. No, this will drive you insane. Where is the box? It's up in my office in the closet. So, so she goes, gets the instructions. There it is, right? Okay, I'll be the first to admit, I do not like to be inconvenienced. I don't want things to be hard. I want stuff to, just to work the way it's supposed to work. I want it to work the way it works on the commercial. I don't want complicated instructions. I just want it to work. Ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, spiritual maturity does not work that way. It takes effort. It takes energy poured into theological maturity, which then results in spiritual maturity, which then results in the life that is spiritually controlled. The life that everybody, by the way, can I just say this? 
everybody's looking for this life. I've said this a hundred times. I wrote about it in my non-New York Times best-selling book. It, everybody is looking for this kind of life. I've never met a single person in my life. Now, you, if you have, please, after the service, come up and tell me. But I've never, never met a single person in my life who, who said to me, man, I, I just want to be miserable. I, I, I don't want to be happy. I, I don't want to be content. I don't want joy in my life. Oh, ooh. I, I, I want to be anxious, I want to be stressed out, I want to be worried, I want to be afraid. That's the life for me. I've never met a single person that ever said that to me. Everybody wants this life, okay? Now, now, now granted, most everybody is looking in the wrong places. People are, are, are looking in, in, in other belief systems, and I'm, not, not, I'm just saying that if Jesus is right about who he claimed to be, so they might, they might look in other belief systems. They might look in the, in the trinkets and the trappings of this world. And I, and I know we can all get... But I'm, I'm just saying to you, most people are, are, don't know that there's another... They don't know the way. You know what I'm saying? And so I, I understand that most people are looking in the wrong place. But this is the life. My point is this is the life that everybody is ultimately looking for. They want a life of joy, peace, contentment, fulfillment, satisfaction, uh, a satisfying marriage if you're married, a satisfied uh, relationship with, the, with your family, uh, uh, contentment in your circumstances, victory over this particular uh, temptation or besetting sin or all that kind of... Everybody wants that kind of life. And it, there's no shortcuts. There's no magic pill you can take. There is, I'll say it again, opening up, digging in, and pulling out the deeper things of God that then translate into a deeper spiritual maturity advancement in my life which then results in that life that i'm really that i really want that everybody really wants but are oftentimes looking in the wrong places you have access to the very mind of christ why would we live like mere mortals listen let me just let me just say this besides Besides sermons on Sunday morning, which I hope are spiritually and, and theologically uh, profitable to you. By the way, let me just say this too. That's why, as a teaching pastor at this church, that's why I oftentimes preach through books of the Bible. That's why I'm not afraid to spend months, sometimes even more than a year, on a particular single book of the Bible. That's why I'll preach doctrinal series. And, and, and I know, I know that is... That is contrary to much of the popular thought in preaching today. Much of the popular thought in preaching today is, oh, oh, oh that is too much, dude. That is too, that is too deep. It's too complicated. They, they, people don't want that. People don't want that. People want, keep it simple. That, that, that's what, what people want. And just being as tra- transparent as I can be with you all right now, I love you, so I can be transparent with you. I, I will stand before God someday as an under-shepherd of of God's flock and I don't know what all God will ask me I mean I don't I don't know what all God will ask me but I'm pretty sure that I will never hear God say oh my my son did did you give the people what they wanted but I will give an account for that I have given you what you needed to mature theologically whereby you could then mature spiritually whereby you could then have the spiritual life that God wants you to have in your life so uh, you can, I mean, there's, okay, all right. 
besides the, the messages, the sermons that I hope are theologically profitable to you, spiritually profitable to you, we, we have these things called life groups where you can come and, and be a part of a, of a life group where, where you can, I mean, you can ask a question. You can say, what? Why, why does the Bible say that? Or what is that about? Or how do I do this with my kids? Or, or this. You can do that in this, in this small group type setting. You can ask questions. You can share things in your life if you want to do that. And there's never any pressure to do that. But we, we have life groups. We make those available uh, to people so they can take part of them and they can experience and do life together. And that's part of the process of maturing both theologically and spiritually. We, we have this online resource known as Right Now Media. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of various Bible studies, thematic studies, uh, uh, devotionals, uh, animated cartoon uh, series for your children. We have all different kinds of stuff. It's absolutely free. The church pays a subscription for you, but it's absolutely free. Why in the world would anybody not take advantage of that? Listen, there is stuff for you there is stuff for your spouse if you're married. There's stuff for your children if you have children. There's stuff for your, uh, for your family. There's stuff for your life group. There's probably stuff for your emotional support animal if you go on that, on that site. Why in the world would you not take advantage of that? And if you say, oh, all right, I, I, yeah, I, I probably should have done that. Sign me up. Info at crossculture.church. Send an email. Do it right now. You all get phoned out anyway. Send an email. Info. Click off of Facebook, send an email, info at crossculture.church, and say, hey, Cindy, uh, sign me up for that Right Now Media stuff, and she'll walk you right through what you need to do, what, what the steps to take, and you can have instant access right there on your phone, on your tablet, on your TV. You can have access to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of uh, curriculum and materials that are designed to help you mature theologically, which then helps you do what? mature spiritually which then helps you do what experience the mature life in christ the mature life in christ includes all of those things i talked about peace and joy and contentment it's not perfect right we have our bad days i do i don't know if y'all do not have my bad days i started to have one this morning with this watch right we we have our bad we're not nobody's claiming perfection here nobody's claiming that spirit uh, uh, theological maturity that leads to spiritual maturity leads to perfection. This side of heaven is not going to happen. But Paul says grow up. Clearly the church in Corinth needed to mature in their walk with Christ. But as we've heard today spiritual maturity is tied to theological maturity. We simply can't grow spiritually without growing in our knowledge and understanding of God through His Word. As Pastor Clay pointed out, and as we all know, we live in a fast-paced world that wants results in a hurry. But theological maturity takes time. It is time well spent for the life we want here and now. And as we'll see next week as we continue in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it's time well spent for eternity. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. 
Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice real. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.